Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. How's it going, everybody? Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Wednesday, March 2nd is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what kind of pond to smoke, what to drink, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky, Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com, and if you want to help out this program, you can, ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V is in victory, S-K-Y. It is Wednesday, March 2nd, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Arnie's Out Wednesday. And here's why, why, why. I just thought I'd do a little reverb there. That was good. First of all, I want to. Uh, why? Why just talking about an ally of Barack Obama? Do I immediately go into a Barack Obama cadence? Why is that? <laughs> just suggestive. Why well, to um, uh, give a shout out? Yes. Let me get out of the Barack Obama cadence. There we go. I'd like to give a shout out uh, before I get started. I'm talking about Arnie Duncan to uh, folks who made last night at the hideout so great. Frank. God bless you. Showed up, took some great pictures uh, and sent them to me. So thank you very much, Frank. V-Train, I see you out there from Evanston. Drove all the way up from Evanston, took some great pictures. Thank you very much. Uh, my partner in crime, Maya Dukmasova, did a great job setting the whole show up, and she was looking resplendent, uh, wearing colors of Ukraine, showing her unity with the Ukrainian people who are under siege. God bless you, Maya. Wallace Gator, Bradley, and Mary Kay Norton. D. they're excellent. They were excellent last night. We're going to bring them on. They're going to be uh, members of our podcasting family. Really smart political uh, operatives here in the Chicago area. So thanks to one and all. And I also got to thank, uh, I was neglectful yesterday. I didn't give a shout out to Joshua Smizer de Leon, host of the Paseo podcast. Um, Joshua was the man in the studio audience. Try to calm down. Right? No you kidding. Know, Good Lord. You guys ate lunch, didn't you? Yeah. God dang. They're they're doing the wave. Oh, my God. The studio audience is doing the wave, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Joshua was the one who dutifully supplied us with the clips that we played of uh, Mike Flannery. <laughs> Sorry, that was Kenny Davis. Or that was a bird. I have no idea what that was. Uh, anyway, uh, well, the studio audience loved that imitation of a bird. Uh, so anyway, great job, Joshua. I appreciate a host of the Paseo podcast, as I was saying, and a dear friend of the show. I also want to give a shout out to Arnie Duncan. Yes, the former uh, education secretary, the former chief of the Chicago Public Schools, longtime aide uh, to uh, 
Richard Daly, that's the former mayor, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, of course, Barack Obama. Uh, he dropped out of the race yesterday, the mayoral race. He wasn't really in the mayoral race. This is classic politics. We just like release little suggestions that you're thinking of running for mayor, and uh, all the pundits and all the podcasting hosts are like, well, Arnie Duncan's in the race. Uh, what are his chances? <laughs> The guy never announced, so it's really hard to say he dropped out of the race. You know what I'm saying? So he, I guess he announced that he wasn't going to run for a race that he never announced he was going to run for. It just shows you, folks, there's two, two ways of looking at this. People in Chicago are really eager to get a new mayor, which is a possibility, or pundits in Chicago are really eager to have something to write and talk about, Bingo. which is probably a greater possibility. Most Chicagoans are probably walking through their life completely and totally oblivious to the fact that within a year, we're going to be electing a new mayor. You think that's so D? I think it's so. I think most Chicagoans are just, do, 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 do. they don't know what's going on, well, except mean, for a handful of listen to the Ben Jarofsky show, that is. You talk they about know what's going writers on. Writers looking for something to write about. I mean, like, you know, I'm sure they had a meeting yesterday or two days ago, like, all right, we got nothing else. Let's run this Jarofsky story. My God. <laughs> Oh, that was yesterday. That That is so yesterday's news. <laughs> D, I learned that. I learned that the hard way, having never, ever, ever been uh, remotely connected with front page news. I was front page news in both papers yesterday. And you know what those newspapers are doing right now? They're lining a birdcage, D. That's how... <laughs> that's how it, vanishing and fleeting it all is. Oh, the fame of yesterday. I walk into a restaurant, sir, your table is right here. Would you like some steak? Yes, I would like some steak. <laughs> I don't know what steak popped in my mind. Anyway, that was yesterday's news. Yes. Listen to yesterday's show, folks, if you want to know about uh, Alder Woman, Susalowski, Garza, et cetera, and so forth. All right. Um, back to Arnie Duncan. This is just a, a fabulous insight into how politics work, not just in Chicago, but this is a particular where it is in Chicago. So we'll just talk about Chicago politics for folks. So Arnie Duncan is beloved by corporate Chicago, beloved by Barack Obama fans, uh, beloved by the dailies. He was the mayor. He was excuse me. He was Mayor Daly's choice to lead the schools uh, early, uh, early O's. And he's beloved by Pete Cunningham, who's beloved by this show. OK. Uh, Pete will be on next week to talk about this and other items. Anyway, so he let it be known that he was thinking about running for mayor. He clearly let it be known. He gave some very important speeches on the issue of crime and criminal justice and policing. And uh, even though lefties really were mad at me for saying this, I thought he had some insightful points to make. I presume Peter wrote them all, but whatever. It doesn't matter who wrote them. D, stop being hung up on who wrote the speech, okay? <laughs> uh, <laughs> just... <laughs> You always have to think about Peter Cunningham writing these things for Daly and Obama. And, well, I guess Obama didn't really need Peter to write anything. Anyway, and, and Rom, let's not forget that. Um, so he had some really important points to make about policing and the fact that we may try to reconsider, you know, how we go about policing, try to maybe uh, stop uh, sh gun sh shootings before they occur, uh, more social programs. Uh, intervention programs, you know, like expand our mental health uh, programs, that kind of thing. You know, instead of just concentrating on lock them up, because lock them up hasn't really worked that well. I know people get afraid and there's a backlash. Uh, if you've been mugged, if your car's been stolen, if somebody in your family's been shot, there's a natural inclination to just lock them up. And even if you haven't been the victim of that, you just read about it in the newspaper, then you have that, let's just lock them up. And uh, Arnie Duncan was pointing out 
he was willing to use his platform to point out that maybe there's another way. So this being Chicago, all the lefties who still haven't forgiven him for his role in Daly's Chicago were like, God damn, Arnie Duncan. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but don't you think he has a good point? You can't trust him, Ben. And uh, Lori Lightfoot, here's the main point. Lori Lightfoot's like, that's defund the police. That sounds like defund the police to me. I'm like, Lori Lightfoot, didn't you run as a police reformer? Didn't you just run? Two years ago or three years ago? It's yesterday's news, man. That is Come on. so yesterday. Mick Dumkey was right. Lori, Lori Lightfoot came to the hideout. I believe in a new way of policing in Chicago. I'm going to reform Chicago. And I'm like, wow, I got my little pom-poms out. Yeah, that's Lori Lightfoot. <laughs> oh, and Ben, just for you, no more tiffs. Yeah. <laughs> and for all of you, she did a kickflip on a skateboard. It was like, holy crap. Mick, you know, has a metaphorical shot of whiskey and a metaphorical cigarette. That means he wasn't really doing it, but he was like jaded, cynical Ben. You believe that stuff, you believe anything. And then he put out the cigarette. And lo and behold, she, she gets in the office and she suddenly finds her inner Richard Nixon. Okay? Suddenly, law and order. That's defund the police. Harumph. And so she was just elbowing Arnie. And I guess one too many elbows to the head. He goes, I can't take it. This is the, I didn't even announce yet. I'm getting beat up. <laughs> I don't know. It's too rough and tumble for me. I think I, it was kind of funny. I, Artie Duncan is legitimately the best basketball player uh, among politicians in the city of Chicago. A lot of basketball, a lot of politicians think they're good basketball players. Barack uh, Obama, uh, David Axelrod. You know, political strategist thinks he's a good basketball player. Rahm Emanuel, according to uh, former Governor Pat Quinn, uh, once played pickup basketball. And what, remember what Quinn said about him? D. He goes, uh, "I go. What did you think of his basketball game? Well, as a basketball player, Ben, he's a great ballet dancer. Oh, <laughs> remember Quinn said that? Yeah, Pat Quinn. Pat Quinn's yeah. a good baller. No, Pat Quinn is actually a legitimate good baller back in the day." I think Pat may be slowing up a little bit. But still, Arnie Duncan is by far the best. He played at Harvard. So you would think, and he's also tall, so he played a, you know, a front-line position. You would think he'd be used to elbows under the basket. You know what I'm saying? Here's an elbow. Man, Lori Lightfoot threw a little elbow at him. He goes, that's enough for me. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere <laughs> in between that time, she turned it into hockey. <laughs> she went out with a stick. Anyway, so no sooner... This is the part that kills me. I, I have predicted it. I shouldn't be surprised, ladies and gentlemen. No sooner had Arnie Duncan announced that he's not going to run for mayor than Lori Lightfoot was saying nice things about him. <laughs> what? <laughs> and you wonder why. Seriously, folks, you wonder why, what is it, 35% vote, 65% don't vote? Because there's nothing real about it. One week ago, she was calling him uh, the defund the police wimp. You can't trust him. With a guy like him in charge, there'll be crime in the streets of Chicago. He announced he's not running. What a great job he's done. No, no, let's just read the quote from today's. <laughs> it's either, Hold on. Let me get the paper. Let's just read the quote. Read the quote. Let's read the real quote. Hold on. Uh, Duncan declines so many uh, others uh, may drive in. Okay, here we go. On Tuesday, Lightfoot ditched the top, tough talk, this is uh, France Bill in writing, and poured on the praise for Duncan's crime-fighting work in an apparent attempt to garner his support. Quote, the work he's done now to build community-based solutions to violence is important, and I look forward to continuing to collaborate. <laughs> I can't even read it. 
I can't read it, folks. It's so hypocritical. I won't just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out, and I'm going to make you walk home. Yes. That's what Lori Lightfoot was essentially saying to Arnie Duncan a week ago. Now she's saying, (laughs) come on into the car, Arnie. I'll drive you home. Chicagoans, like, they they know. They know politicians talk out of two sides of their mouth. That's what 65% of the... Uh, that's a Chicago one. Uh. And now there's like a group of people who like are like rewarding it. Like, you know, I got to say that was a very interesting move. Very necessary what she did there in moving and supporting Arnie Duncan. Because oh, again, my God. Those it's are like the pundits. This, it's like the State of the Union last night. Like, it's like football or something. It is football. <laughs> it's a game. And the, it's a game played by people who really are not really, I don't know, ultimately looking out for, what can I say, our best interest. It's a game. Games people play. <laughs> So our, last week, Lori, he's to fund the police. This week, Lori, it's very important contribution he's making to the city of Chicago. Chicagoans kind of hear that and they just ah, let them do their thing. Yeah, I'll just, I'm not voting. Uh, you can't trust them. <laughs> 65% of Chicagoans don't vote uh, in, a, in a big election, a big mayoral election. That's, that's astounding, ladies and gentlemen. So anyway, yeah, Arnie's out. And now all the... Uh, the, the thoughts are, well, who's going to who's gonna run now? <laughs> this one is so classic. So now we get to write, talk about who's going to run. Yes. All right. And uh, so just so you know, uh, Dr. D is thinking of running. Yeah. Uh, and Well, uh, they kicked me out of that 11th Ward gig, so. <laughs> Folks, I didn't put it on my Instagram, but I'm going to do it. Dennis wore a tie last week to the show. Okay, uh, and he looked very dapper, by the way, I must say. Well, they're looking for an 11th Ward alderman. I live in the 11th Ward. I was like, cool, let's do this. Yeah, he officially announced that he wanted to be considered by the selection committee uh, that Lori Lightfoot had, had set up to make recommendations to her. Not that she was going to listen to anything they said. <laughs> Just give you some recommendations. Anyway, this is so classic. So uh, Fran Spielman did a story uh, in the bright one, my beloved bright one, home delivered as always, an analysis. Oh, well, this is, I already read from the article, Duncan declines. So now uh, she's talking about uh, some of the other uh, people who might jump into the race. And uh, here we go. So she, she calls up veteran political strategist, Peter Jean Greco, who advised Susanna Mendoza's 2019 mayoral campaign. And he predicted Chicago's next mayor will be a new name, someone yet to emerge. Whoa. And here's a quote. Is it somebody like Illinois state rep Cam Buckner? Is it somebody who's been around the block like Congressman Mike Quigley? Those are two names that are going to get a lot of talk because they're both people who are focused on getting things done and not so much on getting their name in the paper. Let me remind you that I just read that from the paper. I'm <laughs> I don't know who Cam Buckner is either. Like, I know Cam Buckner. Sounds like someone I, uh, who could throw a football really far. He is a football player. Oh, my God. What? A former football player. There you go. Yeah, he, there you go. He replaced Christian Mitchell. Uh, as state rep, and uh, when Christian went to work for uh, Pritzker, uh, and he was uh, reelected, or, well, I can't say reelected, he was elected by, uh, he was confirmed, if you will, by the voters in 2020. Uh, a great football player at the uh, University of Illinois, D. The point is this the point is not that he's a football player. The point is, Gian Greco goes, He's like trying to promote them by saying they're not the kind of guys who do things to get in the newspaper and knowing full well that saying that would get them in the newspaper. (laughs) 
the games people play, political strategists, the writers. I got to put something in the paper. I'll throw this quote in from Gian Greco. And he gets to promote himself with these guys because, you know, they may need him. You know what I'm saying? They may need to hire him. I'm here. I said nice things about you. (laughs) Games people play night, day, just like magic. That's a song by the Spinners from the 1970s. Uh Steve was singing along. Uh, Yes, I was. And for the record, I've reached out to Monroe. Maybe he's saying no. Hey, Monroe, get, get. <laughs> emailed him like twice, just so you uh, know. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, though that's the situation there. Uh, they're already putting names out, Cam uh, Buckner, and then there, of course there's other names, uh, other possible contenders such as uh, Alderman uh, Rod Sawyer, six ward, old friend. Uh, Rod, every time there's any talk of a vacancy, you know your name will be mentioned. Why? Because your last name is Sawyer, and your father was mayor of the city of Chicago, and the aforementioned Monroe was his press secretary. So anytime there's a vacancy, you know, or anytime there's an opportunity, I should say, Rod Sawyer, you know your name's going to be mentioned. Uh, vanquished mayoral challenger Paul Vallis, she mentions him, Paul Vallis, uh, ran the last time. Uh, and he's kind of moved to the right. Take kind of out of this. He's moved to the right. Yeah, I feel like you're just putting in the same person, getting rid of yeah, life, throwing it down. That's the same exact person. You know, uh, <laughs> I know. It's like <laughs> he's moved to the right. I'm not certain there's an, a lane for him. I know what you guys are thinking. Well, ben, wait a minute. It's a runoff situation. Yes, that's true. It's a runoff situation. So occupying the far right lane, supported by the Fraternal Order of Police, may get Paul Vallis into a runoff. He still needs 50% plus one of the vote in the runoff. Don't know if he can get that. All right. Now, it depends who his opponent is, obviously. If John Canzer is his opponent, maybe he can get it. But anybody who is to the left of John Canzer, the head of the Fraternal Order of Police, got a feeling will beat Paul Vallis. Chicago Union's Vice President Stacy Davis Gates. Yay, Stacy! Good friend of the show. I don't think Stacy's running. I don't know that she's not running. I just don't think she's going to run. We'll bring her on and see what she has to say. Uh, is one of the other candidates who's perennially thrown out there because somebody from the left has to run. Now that Monroe Anderson has announced that he will not be running for mayor of the city of Chicago. He's announced that he's not going to run for the mayor of the city of Chicago because he doesn't want to give up his weekly appearance on the Ben Jarovsky show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Who needs uh, the power? Yeah. <laughs> you have the power of the microphone. Right. Uh, all right, Monroe, uh, we've got Lee Allen Jones coming up in a little while, and we're going to take the deep dive on all things uh, Ukraine and the war. Uh, Putin, uh, Lee Allen has a lot of interesting things to say, uh, as do you. I've already talked to both of you at length uh, today, uh, pre-show prep, telling each of you, save it for the show, save it. So let's talk about the State of the Union last night, uh, President Joe Biden, you, uh, delivered a State of the Union, which in my, from my perspective, he was trying to walk a fine line uh, aside from the issues, well, including the issues of Ukraine, looking for anything that he could say that might bring some Republicans uh, on to his side, even if it's just that one moment in the speech where they would have to cheer him without completely sacrificing any credibility among lefties. And I think he did a pretty good job 
of walking that fine line between wooing Republicans without completely uh, alienating lefties like myself. How did you see it? Um, pretty much like that. I, it, obviously, uh, f- for the most part, the Ukraine is a no-brainer. I mean, we all agree that this is um, a war crime. Um, with the with some of the issues, you know, for example, he he, he stated that he was not for defunding the police, but for funding them. And um, actually, that's a good thing. But he 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 said it um, because we 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 need to reform the police, not defund them. Um, he, he took another, a couple of other issues. What he's doing is trying to get back to the center because that's where that's that's where he was elected as a sort of a left to center center candidate. Um, but then he uh, took up a bunch of a bunch of liberal causes, left causes, which are popular and good for America. But the Republicans are, are beating him over the head with it by exaggerating and lying, as they usually do. Well, I personally don't believe Joe Biden ever left the center. And uh, I understand exactly the politi- what you're saying politically. Uh, I, as a lefty, I, I have to admit it's upsetting to see him uh, run away from some issues like, for instance, uh, child care which is a very important fundamental issue that, in my humble opinion, if the Democrats stuck to their values, uh, would find a lot of support throughout the country. But, uh, they, but, they, but they don't have mansion and they don't have uh, c- cinema. So they can have every other lefty in the country. And if they don't have those two, then it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, I, I understand the politics of it, and I right. and I don't even view Mansion and Cinema as members of the Democratic Party. Uh, they um, they caucus as Democrats, which give the Democrats the control of the Senate in terms of heading committees, right? Uh, and maybe even approving the um, uh, Brown Jackson as the next uh, uh, Supreme yeah. Court Justice. Yeah, maybe no, sure. we'll sure. see uh, yeah. on that one. See, but that's another example. See. Uh, he's getting pounded by Republicans for naming a black woman right. uh, or nominating a black woman. And uh, there are those who say, oh, that that in itself is moving too far to the left, which I'm just shaking my head on. Uh, no, that's not moving. That's 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 a good old fashioned American racism at play. That's, you know, uh, they they shoe spooned. Uh, the white woman in, and she wasn't nearly as qualified as Jackson is. Not nearly. But they shoe-spooned her in, and now they're, um, well, what what the excuse they're using right now, there, there will be others, but the excuse they're using right now is that Biden said he wanted to uh, do a black woman judge which was discriminatory. Yeah, that's... And, and, you know, when, when did the Republicans become concerned about discrimination? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. 
uh, by the Amy Coney uh, Barrett's the one, uh, the justice that uh, Monroe, of course, is alluding to. You know what, Monroe? And uh, I, I just have to shake my head. Uh, Republicans, they they are just unafraid of being blatant hypocrites. Uh, right. So I remember, I'll go back and I'll always say it. When Clarence Thomas, when they did deem that Clarence Thomas, if there was a vacancy, the legendary Thurgood Marshall, folks, go read about him. All right, millennials. This this man was a civil rights legend. He stepped down for the Supreme Court and he was a black man. So the Republicans felt compelled under George Bush, Daddy Bush, to put a black man in there. So they was like, all of a sudden, they found Clarence Thomas, this guy who would conform to whatever it was that they wanted him to do well, on you know, affirmative Clarence, action. Clarence, and they, they promoted him as like he was the greatest jurist right. well, in Clarence, all the land. Yeah, Bush had put made Clarence in head, uh, head of the Department of Education. No, EEOC. He was in education also? No, I mean, uh, he was not education. Doesn't matter, but go finish your point. He was uh, a, uh, employment, what is it, Equal Employment Opportunity Yeah, right, Commission. exactly, because yeah. he, he was put there to dismantle education. I think you're mixing him up with somebody else, but go ahead, finish okay. your point. Right. Is is that they elevated him like he was the second coming of I don't know <laughs> Moses as a lawgiver or something? You know, oh, right. what? Solomon, that's who it. See, what a brilliant legal mind. I mean, you guys are so cynical, okay? Right. And now, so and he has they, improved to be a, a, a brilliant legal mind. Thirty years later, we're still waiting on that. Yeah, we're still waiting on the. I'll tell you what. Uh, it's a he's a walking conflict of interest. This is a whole other story. Uh, last night, Wallace Gator uh, uh, Bradley was at the hideout for us talking about judges, and uh, he 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 raised it right there. Jenny Thomas, uh, the wife of Clarence Thomas, is one of the leading MAGA activists in the country. Right, uh, who's taking a a leading stand. We talked about this Jim Coogan a couple of weeks ago, t- taking leading stands on many of the issues that will come before Justice Thomas right. somehow or other. That's not a conflict of interest, Monroe. Somehow or other, that's not a reason for him to recuse himself, and they're worried about uh, Brown Jackson. Give me a break. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. It's, it, 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 it's amazing. And she is the first judge. Well, be, well, well, the, the first, she will be the first judge since Thurgood Marshall, who was a public defender who did the public defense work. Everybody else was like on the side of uh, the other folks. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know if any, I had to look into, um, you know, if any of these, the backgrounds of these judges, if any of them uh, actually were trial lawyers who worked for as prosecutors uh, or they just went to corporate law uh, and then went to the bench. I have to look up a little closer before I make any uh assertions uh, on that lines. You know what I'm saying? Like you got some great lawyers who've been practicing before uh, juries their whole careers, Monroe, and somehow or other, they never get elevated to the Supreme court. So all these corporate lawyers uh, and former law clerks, well, you know, you are, you don't have to, there are no requirements to be a Supreme court judge. You know, um, if, if they nominated me, I could be a Supreme court judge if they accepted me. Yeah. And I'd happily take the job. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, you just have the clerks do all the work. Right, um, exactly. Right. Uh, there are no stated requirements. I think under Donald Trump, the requirements were unstated. One, you had to be uh, opposed uh, to a woman's right to choose, and you had to right. concoct some kind of legal gobbledygook of an explanation to justify that. Two, you had to be against any kind of uh, what? Uh, 
requirement about campaign donations and you had to, you know, concoct some legal gobbledygook to justify that. And you had, of course, uh, believe in the rights of people to have as much wep- many guns and weaponry as they wanted and cook up some gobbledygook to justify that. So there are some. Right. Uh, and, and, and theoretically, you were required to um, get D- Donald Trump off the hook. <laughs> yeah, they all ditched him. When, when they start sending him to jail. They did ditch him. They yeah, did right. ditch him. I got to give him credit. We don't need you yeah. anymore, boss. We're already on the bench. Exactly. Right. Uh, exactly. He's fuming. All right. So um, there was an outburst at the Supreme Court, excuse me, at the State of the Union last night. Uh, Congresswoman Boebert uh, felt compelled to uh, bellow out her thoughts about uh, the um, the pull out of American troops from Afghanistan and reminded everybody of what uh, Congressman Joe Wilson did uh, right. to Barack Obama. Why is it, uh, Monroe, that Republicans feel that they have the right uh, to interrupt the president uh, at uh, the State of the Union? But if you say anything bad about Donald John Trump, they're horrified. They're outraged. They start trembling. Why is that, Monroe? Please explain that to me. <laughs> There is no explanation except insanity. I mean, it, the, the Republican Party um, has gone as low as they could go. You know how Michelle was talking about, they go low, we go high. Yeah. Well, the Republicans keep going lower and lower and lower. They, they, they're going to be in, in Dante's um, seventh um, circle of hell pretty soon if they're not already there. Yeah. Were you, uh, did you watch the speech live? Oh yeah. Were you a uh, surprise when she bellowed it? What did you even know that it was her yelling it out? Did you know what was going no, on? I didn't know time? who it was and I couldn't even quite tell what they were yelling out. Yeah. It's just somebody was just yelling like an idiot in, in, in the, um, in the background it was two of them. It was also the green woman. Yeah, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, uh, she was she, she was yelling, uh, "Bo Biden." She yelled, "Bo Biden." Yes, <laughs> that's really bizarre. Just right. just yelled it out. No, yeah, right. Well, because as anybody who's who's up on current events knows. Bo Biden was on the payroll in UK, Ukraine. He got millions of dollars, and and um, because of his father, and so the, there's this corruption that's going to be exposed any day now. Oh it's yeah, been threatened exposure for four years, but for some reason it hasn't quite got there yet. But um, pretty soon, if you ask any of my Trump nuts, they'll tell you about it. Yeah, uh, that's sarcasm, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that Monroe Anderson employing a little sarcasm uh, from Monroe Anderson. Uh, uh, so ultimately, do you think that uh, Joe Biden helped Democrats uh, in for no, heading into the election cycle? Or do you think it'll all be forgotten, the State of the Union, and it has no consequence whatsoever? Yeah, no, the, the State of the Union speeches are not consequential. It's, it's the follow up. You know, if you make the speech and then you act on what you 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 said you were, had done and were going to do, then there's some impact. But if you just make a, a, a pretty speech and, and that's the end of it, then it's the end of it. Mm. 
Well, like I said, uh, as a lefty, I'm a little disappointed, to put it mildly, that my Democratic Party has decided that all of the virtuous things we're running on in terms of helping Americans, uh, they're going to back away uh, from a little bit because they're worried about how Republicans will spin it uh, in the upcoming election. And, uh, so that it would, no, they're hurt. worried about losing, getting wiped out. That's what they're worried about. It's not, yeah, which is ultimately yes. uh, a byproduct of Republicans spinning it. Uh, and so somehow or other, the Democrats have not figured out a successful way, uh, to, uh, champion issues that most of the American people support. Just think about that for a while, Monroe. Oh, no, it's, it's not, it's not, a, it's, it's, it's not any, a secret or magic to it. They just have to keep repeating their successes. Uh, every time they talk about Biden, they are to talk about the lowest unemployment hmm. in 40 years or something like that. Um, the greatest number of jobs in 40 years. Uh, and it, they need to accentuate the positive and, and just stay on that message just over and over and over again. Um, they, ought to, they ought to talk about how Biden um, in the handling of what's happened in the Ukraine so far has managed to become the leader of the Western world again. We lost that when, when, while, while Trump, Trump was um, French kissing um, Putin's ass. And so we're back to being the leader of NATO. Trump was trying to dismantle it, and now it's to, and now what? What the Republicans, the right wingers, are saying that had Trump been in office, we never would have had this this war. <laughs> that Biden is too soft, and this is why Putin made his move. Well, uh, just to goes to show you how ludicrous that is. I sent you a tweet uh, that Frank had sent me. Thank you, Frank, uh, for sending. But I, I realize uh, you don't always look at your uh, text messages, to put it mildly. Right. Um, so uh, I um, let me track this one down. This is uh, really bizarre. Uh, the Russian ambassador at the UN uh, had this to say, and uh, by the way, we will be expanding our conversation of Ukraine. Uh, Lee Allen Jones will be joining us really soon. Lee Allen Jones has got a lot of interesting things to say that uh, I would put it this way are not in the mainstream. So, uh, we welcome, <laughs> we welcome, I welcome the, the show. Yeah, it's not in the mainstream to put it mildly, but you know what, folks, you got to expose yourself to a lot of different ideas. Anyway, here's an right. idea that's being promoted by the Russian ambassador uh, to the United Nations. Quote, the United States, where the legitimately elected president of the country was overthrown. Just think about that, Monroe. That's the Russian ambassador. You talk about what the the ties that bind Putin and Trump and MAGA and the Republican Party, this says it all. This is a blatant attempt right. by Putin to make an appeal to MAGA. And it's so far, Monroe, it's been working. MAGA. Oh, no. No, but that's because of Fox. You know, like uh, Tucker Carlson is, um, had a show where he talked about why should he hate Putin? It, it, uh Putin never called him a racist. <laughs> yeah, you know who he was uh, echoing when he did that? And it was very cynical on his part, Tucker Carlson. 
whether he knew it or not, and I think he had to have known it, at least whoever writes this stuff had to have known it, he was echoing the great Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Back in the 60s, Muhammad Ali said, I'm not going to go, uh, I'm not going to be um, drafted to go fight the Vietnamese. He said, and you know it, Monroe, no Vietnam, Viet Cong ever called me. And then he said the N-word. Yeah, right. And and so this was, T- Tucker Carlson was echoing him. And I'm like, wow. Comparing yourself to Muhammad Ali, who took a really bold stand that cost him his championship. It cost him his ability to make a living, put his family at a great threat because he was suddenly uh, didn't have money coming in. You're making gazillions of dollars just preaching hate and stupidity. You've never, ever been threatened or uh, in any way um, made vulnerable by your uh, right wing rhetoric. And yet you're somehow or other trying to tie yourself to Muhammad Ali. I'll tell you what, Monroe, that really irritated the hell out of me when he did that. Yeah, well, he's very irritating in general, but it, that's how he makes his living. So, yeah. So, how 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 strong do you think these uh, ties are between uh, MAGA and um, uh, Putin? Do you think uh, that's going to cause a a split in the Republican Party? Uh, if- no, it's, it's yeah, no, you it already has caused it. You have. Um, McConnell, Mitch, he, 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 right now, Mitch and Trump are having uh, a, a, a down low battle for control of the party. Trump, as, as we know, controls it right now. But Mitch, Mitch um, is trying to get it back because he wants to win the Senate back. And the problem is that Trump is trying to put his people those who, who insist that Trump won the election, you know, those mm-hmm. folks, he, he's trying to get those people elected to the Senate. And they can win with, with, with Trump's support. They can win the primary. But with Trump's support, they cannot win the general. And um, McConnell knows this. And so he, he's trying to, to put that to a stop. Um, but he has to do it secretly because the uh, the MAGA nuts, the Trump nuts, um, whatever Trump says, they're a cult. So whatever Trump says, they do. And, and they can't, and the Republicans can't win without um, support. Yeah. You talk about cancel culture. Uh, yeah. They cancel any the culture of any Republican who dares to disagree with Donald Trump. But that's pretty blatant. Uh, the the uh, the Russian ambassador just boldly saying using uh, Trump's rhetoric. Against- oh, they're running Trump on, on, on RT, Russian TV. They they're running him and Carlson, Tucker Carlson. They're running their quotes. I mean, with, you know, video of them saying the crazy stuff, you know, Trump talking about what a genius Putin is, which is ridiculous. Putin has everything Putin set out to do. He's, he's gotten the opposite. You know, his plan was to, to, um, kill NATO. He does not want NATO to exist so that he can reclaim, he can invade all these little countries and put the uh, Soviet Union back together again. He's made 
NATO stronger. Sweden is thinking about getting the NATO now, as, as an example. All right, we've got Lee Allen Jones has joined us. We're going to bring Lee Allen on. Uh, Lee Allen, of course, former Green Party candidate for Senate, kind of drifting a little toward the libertarian uh, end of things, but we're not going to go into that. Uh, a journalist, award-winning journalist. And uh, as I've discovered, I, re- I was reminded over the last uh, couple of shows he's been on, a football coach knows a thing or two about football. Uh, and we may bring that up when we talk about Arnie Duncan. I will close with a little Arnie Duncan conversation uh, and Cam Buckner conversation. Uh, first of all, Lee Allen, welcome back to the show. And uh, thanks. How you doing, Uncle Moreau? I'm doing good. <laughs> all right. You looking so, good uh, with the mustache? Oh yeah. <laughs> and the haircut. Don't forget the haircut. Yeah, the haircut is more important than the mustache. Uh, yes. <laughs> all right. So Lee Allen, you've been sending me a series of uh, tweets uh, down for, over the last week. I'm trying to decipher them and figure out where you're coming from uh, in terms of your attitude about. Uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, Putin, Zelensky, et cetera, and so forth. So uh, the stage is yours. I got a feeling that uh, Monroe might uh, disagree with some of the things you say, but let's see. So take it away. What's your just general uh, view of uh, Putin invading uh, Ukraine? I mean, I think it's a, it's a, I mean, we're living, it's a global media uh, you know, social media type of situation now. I mean, I think I sent you the uh, the link. What would Ho Chi Minh have done with a Twitter account? Uh, and so, I mean, there are a lot of conflicts going on in the world. You have a conflict in Yemen. Uh, you've had a coup in Mali. I mean, you have conflicts going on all around the world. And as I've looked at the media talk about this, I mean, even, you know, a lot of them have said this is really racist and how this is being covered because the Ukrainians, are blonde-haired and blue-eyed. I mean, the build-up for this conflict started in April of 2021. It started in April 2021, and I think uh, President Zelensky had a huge opportunity to be a diplomat over over that period of time, and I think he failed at being a diplomat. And so now he's being lauded for not necessarily avoiding the worst possible outcome in the situation, and he's and, and you know it looks good for TV, but I think he 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 was poor. He's a poor diplomat, and this is the end result of that. So uh, before we turn it back to Monroe for a response, I just need to make sure I understand your point. Uh, you're saying that because the president of Ukraine did not uh, agree uh, to uh, assure Putin that he would never join an alliance with NATO, that he lost a moment uh, uh, to uh, prevent this from happening. Is that essentially what you're saying? Ukraine has to be neutral. I mean, Vladimir Putin has 6,000 nuclear weapons. No matter what you want to say about his mental state, he's not going to allow NATO on his border. It's not going to happen. And so when you have a person, it's like if we were allowed a Soviet Union to post up in Mexico. It wouldn't happen. We're not, if, they, if somehow they wanted to start docking. I mean, we've already been through this with the Cuban Missile Crisis in 62. So, I mean, it's just to play on that. Like I said to you before, the people that have benefited the most from this conflict has been the arms manufacturers. All of those countries that are in NATO now are up in their budgets and their military spending for for somebody that really just wants them to have a buffer zone between him and them. Europe is a very tight country, right? You know, I'm not a a Vladimir Putin supporter. I'm just trying to look at it from a centrist. The Nazis invaded. Uh, 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 Russia. You had Napoleon invade Russia. They have a history of being invaded. Therefore, they have a right to protect their sovereignty 
if it, if it means that they have to do the things they do. I'm not saying it is justified. I am saying that it is a situation that had a lot of diplomacy attached to it. And I think that was avoided to lead to this conflict in order to try to accelerate Ukraine into the EU and try and to try to bring NATO together to do what? Spend money on munitions. And they've achieved that. Monroe, you got any thoughts about that? Uh, that is, is a extreme simplification of the problem. But uh, Putin wants to do, and it's very obvious now, has wanted to do, what, what, in, in, um, in 92, was it, when the, the, the wall fell and the Soviet Union fell apart? 91, yeah. 91. Putin was so upset, he went home and cried. I mean, literally cried tears. He, he has referred to it since then as the greatest tragedy of the 20, uh, 20th century. And what he has, he wants to, he's now, he's now 69 years old. And so he, he wants to establish his legacy as the great Russian leader who put the Soviet Union back together again. And so it has nothing to do, NATO is just one minor factor on it. But what he wants to do, I mean, and this is why everybody has pulled together all the, the Western countries and the NATO countries in particular, because what Putin is planning to do is, is go, for, after, after he does U, the Ukraine, he's going to do some of the smaller uh, countries that were in the Soviet Union and Poland. But he's, he's going to do like Hitler did during World War II, where you just roll through Europe and conquer countries and, and get them back under your thumb. Mm. I, I, I think that's an extreme oversimplification. I mean, because you're factoring in a World War playbook, a World War II playbook, where now you have a strong China and you have a strong Russia. You have an emerging strength in India. So you have more than European factors involved in what's going on on the continent of Europe. None of them can sustain on that continent without the natural resources that they have in Russia and the ability. No, to they can do that. No, we're already uh, building means to get get that to them. Another, we're way. already <laughs> building means. So how high how high will energy costs go before that's built out? Well, it's gonna it, it's gonna cost. But how how, how high is it gonna cost if Putin, after he finishes with the Ukraine, goes to Poland and blows it to p- bits and pieces? Uh, conquers these smaller nations and puts together the new Soviet Union. I mean, uh, you know, there's there are no uh, easy solutions to this. Even if we wanted to talk about the the, the things we know about World War Two today, even World War One that the people didn't know back then. I mean, we had American business interests that built up the Nazi, the Nazi regime. They were built up to do exactly what we're trying to keep NATO in doing in terms of and keeping the communist threat east. So, I mean, when we want to talk about World War II, the Bushes were involved in that. They they funded it. Uh, if you look at all of the documentary research on it, we were just as much involved in pumping up the German threat and talking about uh, Hitler as we are in terms of this situation and pumping up Zelensky. So right. the, the politics and in the shadows, the politics in the shadows is not something we're privy to. Well, I'm going to uh, disagree with that last point right. because that last point sort of equates uh, Zelensky with Hitler. 
which I don't think is fair. I'm not accurate. saying. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying he's Hitler. I'm saying that the United States, for more than a hundred and you know, from from its inception, we can create people that we can make heroes and we can make enemies. We propped up Saddam in the Iran Iraq War. We came back and we deposed him. We prop up people and we come back and we take them out. Yeah. So I mean, we have a history of doing. Well, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. Uh, in terms of the opposition to uh, engaging uh, uh, against Hitler and trying to prevent Hitler from uh, taking over Europe uh, and setting up a Nazi state, uh, it was the antecedents of the MAGA movement who were at the forefront of that. They were the ones who were saying America first back in the 30s. Father Coughlin and all the other anti-Semites out there who hated Jews were the ones propping up that message. And uh, now here I am all these years later, and I see that some of the same forces are propping up a message that we don't have uh, a gripe or agreements uh, with a Putin. We don't have uh, a reason to oppose him. And it's, I see some ver- some similarities and parallels, uh, Lee Allen, between... Uh, oh, I don't know what just happened. Um, some parallels between uh, the opposition forces uh, in uh, today and in the... Um, 30s. And to, to that point, I sent you a, uh, a text. I don't know if you got it. The tweet uh, quoting the uh, yes, the, yes, the Russian yes. ambassador yes, saying, yes. Uh, talking about the legitimacy of Donald Trump and how he was the last legitimate elected uh, president of the United States and that he his election was stolen from. To me, it seems like a blatant attempt by Putin to reunite with MAGA. Your thoughts on all that? I mean, you got to think about it. I don't want to be, I, this is going to be overly simplistic. I think that we've watched Homeland in this country for the last eight years. You know, we, we watched this. I mean, this has been dramatized uh, on American TV. And I think when we look at it, it's not as, it, it's a media war. It's a hot war. But the most important thing I want to reiterate is this, is that you have to pivot back and look at how China is going to play on this. You're not dealing in a situation like we did in the 1930s Europe. You have to continue to look at China and know that China has a significant role in what's happening right now. I mean, we, we could look up any day and they could be going into Taiwan. That, that sounds like what Monroe was saying last week. Right. Uh, <laughs> you guys, now you're coming together. Right. That's what Monroe was saying last week. Go he ahead, Monroe. <laughs> he took notes. He's still learning from the master. Yeah, right. Uh, but he's smart, so. You were literally okay. saying it's a very complicated. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Your point's a good one, Lee Allen. Right. It's a very complicated situation we have uh, in the world right now. And I just, there was in the business, a lot of times if you really want to know what's going on, my humble recommendation to listeners, read the business sections of the newspapers. Oh, yes, yes. You know, read the, read what the major corporations are doing. And so uh, here we had Volvo, which is owned by uh, a, a Chinese concerns, uh, saying they're not going to be selling cars to Russia. It's part of the uh, overall sanctions against uh, cars to Russia. And the article points out how, what a delicate, fine line China is walking. Because on the one hand, they don't want to get in the middle of the conflict because they may be looking at Taiwan, as you say. And so they may want to uh, echo the, uh, the sort of same sort of rhetoric as Putin. On the other hand, they're very much engaged uh, in the uh, economy of the West, there's all these clear connections between one and the other. So 
I agree with you, Ali Allen. It's really hard. Uh, there's so many different interests, so many different financial interests, so many different um, nationalistic interests at play here. It's really hard to make direct parallels. Uh, and then you know what, Ben? I, want, I don't want to cut you off, but you just said it all, but you didn't even really open up that can of worm when you said business. And the other thing we have to look at is digital currency. Because when you look at digital currency and the scale of digital currency, uh, in this world, you know, in the United States having an inflated dollar, uh, you know, the fact that there's been a push from a lot of people, uh, I won't say a lot of people, but a lot of these countries that want to, you know, want to diversify that dollar and the strength of having that dollar being a reserve currency went all the way back to Bretton Woods. So when you look at the digital currency and the fact that, you know, there is a real desire for a lot of these countries to not want to necessarily be so dependent on dollars and financing the debt of the United States at the detriment of their own economy. Well, that uh, that is going to be one of the huge weapons uh, that either the Russians can play, and we're already seeing the West uh, playing that. They're trying to devalue the ruble. Done a pretty good job of it. Oh, it's uh, worth a penny. Yeah, it's worth a penny, and uh, so this is a form of what uh, a non-military extortion. This is a battle, uh, a non-military battle, Ali Allen, that I say that's going on very much. Uh, and I don't know if it's going to work. I've not seen uh, evidence, maybe Monroe and Lee Allen, you could correct me here, of sanctions thwarting dictators or tyrants from... Uh, oh, I mean, they're by third. They, you got to think, they, they still have Nord Stream 1 going, supplying uh, natural gas to Germany. So it, it, it is extremely complicated. Yeah. It is extreme. You have now you have white nationalists across Europe. You got to remember, remember the Golden Dawn movement in Greece. You have you have a lot of white nationalism in Europe, right? I mean, so it's, it, this is a very multi-linear discussion that we're having. And once you get one line, it's like pulling the thread on a sweater. You start pulling one, and next thing you know, you don't have a sweater. Yeah, and that's the white nationalist connection is. Definitely what that Russian ambassador is trying to uh, invoke uh, when he talks about Donald Trump being the legitimate president of the United States and having been uh, uh, cheated out of his office. He is clearly making a play. Go ahead. Well, you know, a lot of the um, diplomats at the U.N. walked out on him. Oh, they did. Yeah. I mean, and you got a thing, too. And another country you guys got to pay attention to is India. You not you know why the you know why India abstained when they wanted to vote in the in the UN to kind of push back on and, and they abstained. You know why that was? Why? Seventy five percent of the military arms that India has comes from Russia. Seventy five percent, and you got to think India has its own border conflicts with China and the whole Tibet situation. So that's why it's really a complicated situation uh, because you have all of these different interests that are being put in place right now, and all of it is, you know, is going to play out on the global stage. Yeah, by the way, that one of the uh, texts uh, that Lee Allen sent me showed uh, Modi of India uh, embracing Putin. I'm telling you, Monroe, I've been the beneficiary of all these texts, these, like, memes that Lee Allen's been sending but, me, and I'm listen, looking, trying to listen, decipher but listen, but listen, you know why that is with Modi? There are 1.4 billion Indians, 1.38. 25% of the world's grain comes from the Ukraine and Russia. So Modi has a very... A very delicate uh, situation because he has to feed his people, and the fact that seventy-five percent of his armament comes from who? The Russia. 
who and so if you talk about the Russian and India, uh, Russian and China alliance, then what does India think about that? They have 1.4 billion people. They're yeah. next to yeah. Pakistan. They have their own issues. So it's, it's like I, I tend to believe if we were flies on the wall in any of these uh, in any of these countries in their in their backroom discussions, it is extremely difficult to kind of galvanize. How are you going to maneuver in this in, in this climate? All right, Lee Allen. Uh... I want to bring it to uh, something going back to you talking about white nationalism and get uh, Monroe and your thoughts on this. We had brief conversations before the show. Uh, there's images, uh, there's stories uh, coming out uh, from Ukraine about the treatment of African students, students from Africa and how they're being treated differently uh, from Ukrainian uh, citizens who are trying to leave the Ukraine. And Monroe, uh, you and I talked uh, briefly about it. Go, why don't you go into a little further about just like, again, a racial dynamic here. A, uh, how do I put this? Different standards for black people and different standards for white people. We see it every freaking where in the universe. Right. Uh, even well, in Ukraine. Take it away, Monroe. Exactly. No, they, the, the, there are students in the university in the Ukraine who have been trying to leave the country. Like so far, I th- think it's a, a million uh, Ukrainians have left the country. And um, they they get to Poland, uh, one group of them, they get to Poland, and they, while they're letting the, the white Ukrainians board the train, they charge the students, Africans, to get on, 20, 20 bucks each, the equivalent of 20 bucks each to get the train ride. Uh, there's another situation where uh, the Ukrainians weren't even transferring the students to the train. They just, they were refusing to do it. And then I, 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 I don't remember who, but somebody text that they had to cut this out because they were losing the support of the world if they were going to leave the Africans behind in this thing, that it, it would hurt their whole PR initiative. You know, just just like in, um, in World War II, uh, there's this book, um, Slavery uh, in, uh, with Another Name, where uh, at that time we were using, the United States was using the prisons to, they would, Black, arrest black men, um, send them to prison, and then get free labor from them as a result of that. And that was a common practice in, in certain industries in the South. And uh, the Japanese were going to use that as a PR initiative against the U.S. And FDR uh, contacted these various companies that said, you got to check this out. We cannot have this going on right now. I don't know what that sound is, Leon. It sounds like this. Uh, it's a bus. I'm getting my son off the school bus. Okay. Uh, multitasking today. Uh, so, Leon, you also raised the issue of race when you talked about sort of the different uh, reactions of the world uh, to atrocities occurring uh, in Africa and in Asia uh, with atrocities occurring uh, in Ukraine. Talk a little bit about that. I think when we look at it, I, I put something on Facebook when I talked about the fact. I let the bus go by. Okay. I talked about the fact that when you look at Europe, they have the they have some of the lowest birth rates in the world. 
They're not, when you look at Europe over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, all of their birth rates are substantially lower than all of those countries that we talk about, Mali, Sub-Saharan Africa. So I tend to believe that this whole, this whole discussion really needs to pivot to the fact that this is really a declining place of relevance in the world when you look at population. And I don't think the politics right now is reflecting that. And if it doesn't, we're going to look up and we're going to look at places in Africa that are going to have similar situations and not going to have the global response to them. And then that hypocrisy is going to play out in ways that we can't, we really can't anticipate knowing that we're a declining empire. And if we don't begin to start pivoting back and looking at where we have these populations with high growth rates, Nigeria, Ghana, those are going to be the place with the highest populations in the world. And they're going to command more of those resources in Africa. And so Europe is going to be left without those resources and potentially Russian gas. How are they going to deal in a world where those you know, countries are going to want the, the real value for their resources and their wealth that is really subsidizing Europe? Uh, yeah, the under the the point, uh, Monroe. I get your responses that Lee Allen is getting at uh, is that if you don't have a singular uh, response to atrocities, then you really uh, you're picking and choosing. You're not standing for a principle. Uh, you're just uh, picking and choosing what is at your best strategic interest at the moment, or what is it what a, uh, your emotional interests at the moment, uh, and so therefore you've lost your credibility. Uh, your thoughts about that, Monroe? Well, if, if you recall, another thing I said last week on, on the show was that there would be a different response to Ukraine because you'd see white people being killed, little white children being injured and, and, and killed. And so it would be a lot more emotional than it was with Syria, where Putin bombed the hospitals, bombed the orphanages, bomb the the population, the general population. And there was outrage, but no action whatsoever to stop him on that one. But now this is, I mean, well, and and, and the other thing, of course, is that um, the Ukraine and Russia were not that different. In fact, they they are so integrated that you have Russians living in the Ukraine and Ukrainians living in, in Russia, and so it would be uh, almost comparable to if um, Illinois bombed Indiana. Yeah, we'd be fighting over corn, right? Yeah, yeah right, exactly. And, <laughs> and, and everybody's with everybody, basically. Think about this with Monroe. Monroe. Monroe, check this out. Volodymyr and Vladimir are phonically the same name. Volodymyr is Ukrainian for Vladimir. I mean, that's how similar right, right. these people are. Right. Exactly. Now, there was a, there was a scene that I saw on the on the news today, where uh, some Russians Russians in tanks were confronted by these Ukrainians with their hands up in the air and telling them to go home, blocking the tanks so they couldn't make any more progress, and telling them to go home, go home. And rather than shoot them, the soldiers shot up in the air to warn them. There are reports, they, they, they have this convoy that's uh, f- 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 uh, 30 miles long that's been, that has not made much progress because um, 
there's some suspicion that a lot of the um, Russian soldiers who are conscripts don't want to go and kill Ukrainians. And so they've been surrendering. And when they surrender to the Ukrainians, rather than um, just put them away, lock them up or kill them, as happens in a lot of these situations, the Ukrainians have had them call their mothers and explain to them why they were in the war. And there's no explanation. They didn't even know they were going to fight against it, the Ukraine. But, until but, but Rob, it's yeah. no different in Vietnam. It's no different in Vietnam. Those were, you know, families that were spread between the North and the South. I mean, it's right. no different in Korea. Right. Like these are ethnically very similar people that are in a conflict based upon geopolitical interests. Absolutely. And I'll just say this. If you're a Russian soldier and if, if there are any parallels between uh, Russia and the United States, so many of our soldiers aren't there because they want to serve as a tool for some, I don't know, geo, greater geopolitical meaning. Uh, they either think it's an act of patriotism to join. They're desperate to join, you know, they need the job or the money. Maybe in some cases they're forced to join. A uh, judge has told them, you either go to jail or you go to the army. I know some people had to do that, Lee Allen Jones. Yeah, and, sure. uh, and, uh, or they're back in the day of the Vietnam War, they were just drafted. And uh, I got uh, some right, any, friends uh, who just were drafted. and just they, they didn't think of themselves as anti-communist warriors being sent off to defend capitalism. They were drafted, and so I think and they fragged a lot of officers at the end, didn't they? It was a lot of fragging of those officers at the end of the war, too. Well, that was because of racism. Because one of my neighbors went to went to prison because he fragged his lieutenant. Uh, wow! Yeah, from Gary, a neighbor from yeah, Gary. Gary, yeah, yeah. Because what they were doing in Vietnam is they were putting the black soldiers on the point. Uh, just automatically, you know, just like his, his uh, last hired, first fired. Well, yeah. in the military, what they were doing is they would put the black soldiers on the point. And so when they were going through the jungle and they were ambushed, the black soldiers were the first ones killed, shot and killed. Uh, all right. We're uh, we're kind of running out of time here. So I want to bring it uh, close off the discussion of uh international politics and war and just close with uh, Chicago politics. I promised Lee Allen uh, I'd give him an opportunity uh, to uh, give a few thoughts. Arnie Duncan uh, announced he was not going to run for mayor. I was like most Chicagoans figure it was a shoe in to run for mayor, to run for mayor. I didn't say Lori Lightfoot lovers that he was going to beat Lori Lightfoot. I just thought he was a shoe in to run for mayor. But the poll said he would have. Yeah, okay. That's Monroe Anderson speaking. Uh, so Arnie announced yesterday uh, that he wasn't going to run. My immediate uh, interpretation, Lee Allen and Monroe, feel free to disagree with me uh, no matter what you, uh, if you will, although Monroe has a very interesting theory I'm going to ask him to share with you, is that uh, he saw those sharp elbows that Lori Lightfoot was uh, flinging, and he said, uh-uh, I'm getting out. I'm backing out of the lane. I'll let you get the rebound, uh, Lori Lightfoot, drawing a basketball metaphor for Arnie Duncan. Uh so that's my interpretation. He just said, you know, this is just too rough and tumble and I don't want to deal with it. So he uh, backed away, giving Lori Lightfoot the chance to just 
in an instant pivot Lee Allen Jones and go from blasting him as a defund the policer into <laughs> praising him as a wonderful, insightful, innovative thought thinker on criminal justice. Man, I'll tell you what, sometimes it's just too much to stomach. Hey, you like Chicago politics, just wait till the, uh, wait till the afternoon, right? The weather always shifts in. It always shifts. The one only 30-something percent vote because there's a bunch of liars out there. All right, Monroe Anderson, I'm. Uh, you got the floor to offer your theory. I, Leal, I got to tell you, Monroe caught me off guard with this one. I didn't okay. say, but I, he, I'll just let Monroe give the Monroe theory on Arnie Duncan. Right. Go when, ahead. When I, when I was editor of Indigo, I interviewed Arnie Duncan uh, because the publisher wanted a story about him for, uh, for because of some self-serving reason. But anyway, I interviewed him. And part of the thing he told me about his mother and how, how she was this great social worker who did all these great things in Hyde Park for black folks. And he was very proud of that. And my theory, just based on that interview, is that he is a do-gooder, a, a, a liberal and a do-gooder, and he did not want to go down as removing the first black woman mayor from office. But it, it, it got to him, and he decided that um, he did not want to fall into that category. Well, Monroe, I, uh, I don't know how you... I think I share your Sue Duncan uh, connection with maybe why he didn't want to run. My, uh, my theory on that would be... I don't think that – I've talked with, to be full disclosure, I've talked with Arnie during this process. And my contention to him was don't be the Obama center mayor and don't be the great white hope. And that's what I'm like. If you can rise above being the great white hope and not being the Obama center mayor and, and hopefully distancing yourself from Father Flager, you would have a great chance. And my, my belief is, is that he really wants to get the work done in the community with cred and dealing with the violence in Chicago. I mean, I've known Arnie since I was 13 years old. Yeah. As long as I've known you. And I think, you know, I saw Arnie during COVID uh, at the uh, DMV, you know, at, uh, on 95th Street then. Mm. And I, I went there at 530 because I had to renew my license at 530 in the morning. So I get there and I was still like the 11th or 12th person in line. I saw this gangly person walking up at about eight, about about 750. And guess who that person was? It was Arnie, and he was with his son, and he had to go all the way around the uh, Secretary of State to get his license. And I kind of, and I kind of remember that. I'm like, you know, I don't think Arnie is a politician, and more importantly, I don't think he could have been a flunky for Barack. And I think Barack, is, I think Barack and Axelrod are very involved in Chicago politics, and they're looking to try to put people in position to run their agenda. And I don't think Arnie Duncan is going to allow anybody to make him it's a puppet. What's their agenda? They just—I mean, it's power. I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's power. It's power. Power over the number two largest city in the country. Who, who wouldn't want that? Well, number three, first of all. But, but behind he was okay, okay. Right, right. Number three, Lee Allen, and maybe number four. We're behind Houston now. Behind Houston, L.A. But, L.A. Yeah, proved too much for the man to quote Gladys Knight, and uh, that's uh, L.A. Wow. is number two. So go right. ahead. Go yeah. Ahead. Either way. Yeah, but anyway, they have power. Both of them have power. They are not nearly as invested in Chicago as you might imagine. I mean, the only thing... I, 
I doubt that. They have a 700. You know, the Obama Center isn't cheap. The only thing Obama really cares about in Chicago is his, his um, presidential library. And that's exactly what Obama, that's exactly what would have had to happen as this center opens. Arnie is going to, anybody who has to be married is going to have to play ball with Barack because of all that investment. You can't say that Barack isn't invested in the city when you have Jim Reynolds opening up that studio at the old Regal Theater. They're very involved. Obama is trying to be a billionaire. And he can become a billionaire playing in the shadows and using shell companies to be able to put his wealth in places where he knows it's going to increase value. I mean, let's not let's not play games. Obama not gonna, wants to be a billionaire. A, a, a billionaire off of the the Apollo Theater. You no, know. I'm not saying you're going to be a. Uh, listen, what this is. Let me say this. I say this, Black Chicago, and I think this is going to lead into your discussion about the next mayor's race. I don't think that the, the, the African-American community is not understanding the demographics and the shift in the city and, and what the power dynamics are. Anybody that wants to be mayor of Chicago is going to have to p- appeal to a large Latino base that is not going to play second fiddle going forward. And I don't care who they are. And Arnie kind of had the ability to do that because of his, uh, his time at being the, uh, uh, the CEO of Chicago Public Schools. So, yes, Obama is very involved in Chicago. His money is very involved in Chicago because the real estate in Chicago is about to shift. All of that TIF money, Ben, remember all that TIF money that has been spent in Chicago to prop up economic growth? All that money is coming due within the next decade. So when you get the real property taxes where they should be as opposed to where they're being subsidized for, you're going to have a huge upswing in real estate prices and within commercial real estate. So Barack Obama wants to be a billionaire. And Chicago has the type of economic growth when you begin to look at its politics of creating that opportunity to that level of income return. All right. I, uh, I, that This is a topic for like a whole show. Yeah, so right. I'm going to hold this one off. Uh, I will say this. I, I agree with portions of what each of you are saying. I'm Monroe, I'm with you. Barack Obama uh, does not need Chicago alone to be a billionaire. I have no idea how much money he's worth, uh, but I got to tell you, he's on the road, uh, Lee Allen, so you're absolutely correct. And uh, I'm looking at his post-presidency career, and I've, I've said this I don't know if I've ever said it when you've been on the show, Lee Allen. I know I've said it to Monroe. I'm, I'm profoundly disappointed. I mean, um, I mean, I, I understand this is this is America, and you make as much money as you can get make because that's power. But I also always believe that there was a um, what is it? An idealistic uh, motivation to Barack Obama. Lee Allen's laughing at me right now. <laughs> he's laughing at me. I mean, he's not Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter went back and built houses. Barack yes. is about to build is about to build mega projects, and so he's not Jimmy Carter. You said it so well. And my appreciation for Jimmy Carter is a po- I've said this Monroe knows he's heard this one as a broken record. My appreciation of Jimmy Carter as for his post presidency behavior is off the charts. This guy has been a diplomat, a statesman, uh, and a philanthropist. And you're right, uh, Lee Allen. He writes books of poems. You know what I mean? He doesn't cut deals with Bruce Springsteen. Hey, you know what my biggest thing is? You know what yeah. I think? It, I, this is off the wall, and I'm always bringing off the wall comments. This is one thing that I mentioned, Arnie. I said, let the Bears go to Arlington Heights, and uh, you you know you get another Chicago team from the NFL, and, and let Barack be an investor. Him and Kanye West. 
I got to laugh at that one. That's a, that's a good little comedy to end the show. Uh, <laughs> there's no other team coming to the Chicago area. That deal is cut. The Bears are going oh, to Arlington yeah. Heights. They're going to pay for it with a tiff. The citizens of Arlington Heights are going to pay for that Bears stadium. They're going to subsidize utter mediocrity. Uh, and I had a debate uh, a couple weeks ago with David Seaton. I urge everybody to check it out, uh, Lee Allen Jones. Uh, David Seaton is a, a centrist friend of this show, but who's drifting a little to the conservative side and essentially says uh, that Section 8 for poor people is bad, but Section 8 for the Bears is good. So I urge everybody to check that uh, uh, interview out as I listen to a rational, uh, a centrist a rational for giving money to the Bears. Let's let Monroe close. Any closing thoughts you want to make, Monroe, about Arnie Duncan's? Uh, uh, oh, no, this is for Monroe. Monroe, I mentioned this at the outset of the show. When, this, when the Sun-Times was listing all the candidates who may run for mayor, including uh, Lee Allen Jones' old football-playing friend, uh, Cam Buckner, uh, they felt compelled to put Alderman Rod Sawyer on that list. And my opening thoughts were they only put <laughs> Sawyer's name on that list because his last name is Sawyer. <laughs> and his daddy was a mayor. And Monroe was the spokesperson for that uh, that mayor. He Monroe was to uh, Eugene Sawyer where Peter Cunningham is to Arnie Duncan's, the brains of the operation. So, Monroe, you get to close it down. Uh, do you think Rod Sawyer is going to run for mayor? I, I mean, I haven't talked to him in a couple of years, so I don't know. I, I have no doubt that he wouldn't mind being there, <laughs> but uh, he has not shown me the um, aggressiveness or courage to actually go for the job. Now, maybe that's changed. He sees an opportunity. He's going to take it, but I, I would be surprised if, if, if he was an actual candidate. All right, so uh, I'll let you and uh, Liam, I'm writing this down. I want a prediction. I'm going to write this down. So I'm going to, Leon's going to go first. Monroe, this gives you time to think. I'm going to give you that. Uh, So here you go, Leon. All right, Arnie Duncan's not going to run. I worked from the assumption that he was going to run, and it would be a Duncan Lightfoot uh, runoff. Because as everybody knows out there, you should know, you got to get more than 50% of the vote to win. So that first round of the mayor's race, Chicago wants come on now. You know the rules. That first run is essentially going to set up the runoff because I don't think anybody's going to get more than 50% of the vote. So, Lee Allen, who do you think will emerge in the next couple of weeks as the most likely to uh, make that runoff against Lori Lightfoot? Go. I don't have – I'm going to be very honest. I don't have any idea. I don't think that – uh, I think Lori, she could actually win in the scenario where Barney doesn't run and if Stacey Davis Gates doesn't get in the race, it's going to be hard to beat Lori because she can pull votes from everybody. I mean, she can pull votes from literally everybody. Everybody we would talk about in the African-American community can only really pull from that demographic, and we don't know how strong the African-American vote is going to be, especially without looking at how this uh, the math is going to come out that the uh, – that the uh, city council has been debating on. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know. You know, we don't know. And, and, and that city council map, once it is, you know, once we know it's going to be voted on or how they're going to do it, I think somebody emerges once we get a better understanding what that map is going to look like. All right. You don't want to make a prediction. I don't blame you. Monroe, are you gonna, uh, do you have anybody out there that you think could be a, a strong challenger to Lori Lightfoot? No. I think, oh, wow. I think, I think she's going to be the mayor again. Oh. Uh, 
because as we have seen over the past um, 30 some years, that once you're an incumbent and you have an in Chicago from here, then you have the, the greatest advantage. The only, uh, the only reason Harold Washington won the mayor of the race is because you had two popular whites that split the white vote. If, if, um, if Daley had won, Jane Byrne would have won a second term. If Jane Byrne had stepped down, Daley would have been the mayor. But because the two of them were in and split the white vote, we got Harold. Yeah, I wish then that. Hey, do you think that. Luis Gutierrez would come back and run from there? No, absolutely not. And I'm not even sure if he, he can get out. Of, uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess Luis Gutierrez could make the runoff. Uh, now he's got enough name records, but I do not believe he wants to run. Uh, I, I've always said that uh, to Monroe's point, Lee Allen, that uh, Lori Lightfoot is the favorite because uh, she's not afraid to be mean and nasty. And Chicago <laughs> love mean and nasty. They're a very she weird. She sets people. a mean kick, don't she? She yes. sets a mean kick, don't she? Yeah, she sets a. She, <laughs> and I she, think I this right might be a pick and roll. Yeah, it's a pick and roll with an elbow. Uh, and uh, so Chicagoans love that. Chicagoans are a little, uh, what's the word, uh, masochistic. They love to be beat up. Weird kind of twisted mindset of Chicagoans. Or maybe they love watching a mayor beat somebody else up. I'm not quite sure. So I agree with you. Oh, this is a city of big shoulders. So they, they want somebody that's <laughs> rough and tough and ready to brawl. There you go. Well, they got that and in this mayor. The thing is this, though. If, she, if Lori does run, she's going to make a huge concession uh, to that, to that emerging Latino political base, I can tell you that. Well, we'll have to see what that concession uh, could be, and we'll have to see how strong the uh, Latino vote is uh, in the Chicago. We have to see whether it's split up uh, or divided. All right, we've run out of time. Monroe Anderson, Lee Allen Jones. Uh, it's it's so uh, interesting to have the two of you on the show because many many years ago, Monroe was a a, a mentor to Lee Allen Jones. Yes, I have to point that out. And it's it's like uh, the student has grown up, and uh, he. Hey, Monroe, listen, yeah. I can call and tell you why you did that article on Arnie Duncan too. I just didn't want to mention it on air. All right, good idea. Don't mention <laughs> yeah. it on the air. No, because I forgot. I just knew that it was was nuts. But you know, the publisher no, wanted it. We'll talk about it. Something, I something I that time, but I, 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 I could have a good understanding of that. You agree. All right, very good. We'll uh, ha- hold that conversation another time. Monroe Anderson, Lee Allen Jones, thank you very much. Of course, I want to thank the man, myth, the legend, pride of joy of Alton and Loy, without whom this show would be possible. And as Lee thank Allen you. and Monroe can tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. 
Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.